Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Daniel Norcross from Tasman Special, from BT Sport, from Wisdom Cricket Monthly, from a renowned but never listened to podcast Zero Ducks Given with Toby Tarrant and Stephen Finn. Um, and also, as we said, from the Surrey live stream, you heard from me yesterday as Surrey made their way to the top of the tree. They are county champions for a 21st time, 14 times since it? the Second World War. How, I'll tell you Against how they do it. All the odds. <laughs> By nurturing young talent, Rory Dollard, the puff pastry hangman who is alongside me. That's how they do it. The likes of Tom Laws, the Curran brothers, just... Talent that oozes out of Surrey's academy, and it was an absolute delight to watch. from Vauxhall. <laughs> oh, yes, but he didn't play the biggest part, did he? I mean, you'd have to say. It's, it's the likes of, um, well, I suppose, Jordan Clark. He was quite important, and he wasn't really from Vauxhall either. Cumbria last Anyway, Ro- yeah. Rory Dollard has leapt in, the chief cricket writer <laughs> of the Press Association, and he joins me every day, my prematurely aged, humunculus friend. It's um, <laughs> lovely to see you. And it's also slightly concerning that you've described me as a sweary stepdad to the nation. Only the nation's cricket, in fairness. I don't think the the wider public uh, want you as their sweary stepdad, just just the cricket lovers amongst us. Well, it's a role I'm very happy to play. Now, sod off. No, obviously not. Today, we are going to be looking, yes, folks, gird your loins. It doesn't sound like fun, but it is actually very important. The men's high-performance review. Sir Andrew Strauss has been, he's looked at stuff, he's crunched numbers, and he's found ways of just keeping the culture war going. So Twitter will be (laughs) ablaze with infuriated fans who are down one side or the other of an artificially created divide. England Cricket on 99.94 is your new home for English cricket content, and we will be dropping into your podcast feed and on YouTube or on the 99.94 app three times every week. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Now, Rory, I've given it the really big sell there, <laughs> but ordinarily, I've got to say, it's it's things like this. As a dilettante broadcaster who's basically winging it through life and thoroughly enjoying watching cricket, before heading off to the pub and nattering about cricket with people who love cricket. It's at times like this when my eyes glaze over, my knees become arthritic. I feel the chill wind in my bones because Mm. men's high-performance review, it's four words when put together that fill me with innovation. But you have convinced me that there is stuff in here that not only do we need to talk about, but actually might be quite fun to talk about. So... Go for it. Do your best. Okay. Explain what it is. Oh. Well, as you say, it is a bit a bit wordy and a bit in-depth and what have you. And in many ways, it's like the budget, isn't it, that we've just had in mm. the, from our, our new Chancellor of the Exchequer here in England. It's a load of very dull but Sorry, words. sorry, sorry. I have, to, I, I have to stop you there, Rory, because it's not yep. a budget in exactly the same way as it's a military <laughs> operation, not a war in the Ukraine. It's not oh. a budget. It's an incredibly fiscal wide-ranging event. fiscal statement that, that will not come under any scrutiny. But yes, I'm sorry yeah. I interrupted you. Continue. But it's but you're, but, it, but it's a lot of it's a lot of very um, intense words and notions and concepts presented in quite a dry way that are actually quite important. And in the budget's case, it transfers wealth and power uh, to a very small percentage 
uh, of the population. Whether you think that's what Andrew Strauss's high performance review does in county cricket is up to you. But there are people who do believe that. Primarily, there are 17 recommendations, some of which we can talk about later, but only two of them require a vote of the first-class counties. And it's about a restructure, another restructure, because we do restructure domestic cricket on an annual basis, actually, don't we, at the moment? Yes, I'd say, yeah. But this is supposed to be one that sticks. And the headline is less of it. So less first-class cricket, less T20 cricket, less less days for the members who who keep some of the counties alive. So less cricket, but it's presented as all in the prism of improving standards that feed up to the very, very highest level. And that means your England men's cricket team in this case. So part of the reasoning for this is they think that players play too much. They don't necessarily train enough on skills. They don't review and analyse as much as they could. They're on the treadmill from one to the next. And and there is in English cricket potentially a feeling that yeah, if you have a bad day, you get out, you go for a few. There's always another. There's always another. And then there's another one after that. And I personally don't think from a sporting point of view, the idea of thinning the schedule out a bit is an awfully bad one. England is a bit of an outlier in terms of how much how much sort of days of active cricket its players are supposed to go through. But as you said, in terms of the culture war, there's plenty of soldiers on each side and there are people at various counties or just county supporters in general who feel that it's the thin end of the wedge and that it's a way to marginalise, to drain talent potentially. Because one of Andrew Strauss and his panel's bigger of big ideas is to have a six-team top division, five home, five away games, and you know, call it that best v best. And best v best means let's see your best young players, Leicestershire, Derbyshire, Glamorgan, whoever it might be, and we'll have them up in that top division, please, but we don't necessarily want you. Now, I don't want to be a kind of back-in-my-day kind of old bore, but um, I was doing an event the other day with two former England cricketers who um, were very, very highly prominent players, hugely successful, one of England's finest fast bowlers, one of England's finest ever captains. And they were both of them pretty flabbergasted at how little cricket actually is played by um, England-contracted players particularly. And this was underscored, I thought, in the last round of county championship matches where only two of England's squad actually played. Ben Folkes and Ollie Pope, who were obviously incentivised by the prospect of a county championship. In fairness, Ben Folkes played nine county championship matches this summer out of 14. Ollie Pope played eight, as well as them playing, you know, seven test matches in the case of Ollie Pope, I think six in the case of Ben mm. Folkes. And so that is, that's what, you're getting to 15, 16 um, first-class matches for, for those guys. Nobody else in the England setup played. Jack Leach didn't play. Zach Crawley didn't play. Alex Lees didn't play. I mean, <laughs> Lees and Crawley have barely been able to get a run this summer. They didn't bother to go to their counties and try and find some form. Joe Root didn't play. Slightly more understandable, perhaps. We knew that Anderson and Broad weren't going to play. Ben Stokes didn't play. They're hardly playing any cricket at all, aren't they? And if you go back to, say, 1990, say when mm. Durham arrived and there are 18 counties, 22 three-day games, that's 66 days. 
17 John Player League games. That's 83 days. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six Benson Hedges Cup matches if you got through to the final. Um, five Gillette Cup matches if you got through the final there. So that's another 11 on top of that. Makes 94 days before you've even got <laughs> to warm-ups, games against the counties. Let's say you're looking at 100 days there. Well, this proposal, this proposal makes for... It makes for 10 four-day games, bearing in mind that some of those four-day games we finished inside three days. That's 40. Mm. They'll play 10 T20 matches. That's 50. And they might play as few as two or three Royal London games, 53. Even if they were playing in the 100, that gets you to 61 if you played every single day. That is about three-fifths of the workload of back in the day in the 1990s. Now, yeah, but- is it, if that might have been too much in 1990, but is really is are we getting to 61 days in summer? And summer starts in April and ends in September. That's like nearly six months, and they're basically going to work for one out of three days. That's insane, isn't it? Well, they're going to play for one out of three days. Yes, that doesn't mean they're yes. not working. And I think that's the point. No, that's fair. I think yeah. they. I think it sounds. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm looking at that schedule that you've read out from the past and thinking, yeah, like. Great, but they used to you know go down the mines and before bowling ten overs as well. So we don't really want much of that to return. I think if we look at the idea that England often turn up with lots of medium pace bowlers who know how to get through a good long spell with their packed lunch on their back, you know, like we do need a bit more intensity. And if if on a first class level, I think this proposal is. Really not too bad because the idea is that it might just persuade people to bend their backs, ball a bit faster because then they have got next week off uh, to to trust in other skills that aren't just about managing their body through the season. Now, I think where the debate, the real fulcrum of the debate might come is in the T20 situation. And that is, can they afford to strip back the the amount of games that counties get for T20s. And perhaps we can, there's a, there's a lot to be said on that. So I wonder if we need to push that into the next uh, section. But I think 10 first-class matches compared to what you get around the world might be about right. With a little bit of scope for red ball shenanigans in between when the hundreds going on. But the, I don't know, the, the battleground might be T20. Well, we will return to that very shortly. Uh, you are listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on podcasts. We speak the language of cricket. Um, now, Rory. I'm going to come straight back to that because there is a very significant issue of the finances of counties. It strikes me that if they play five four-day matches at home, that's it, 20 days of county championship cricket, five days of T20 blast, and what, they might get four or five days of Royal London. That would mean that a Surrey fan, I'm going to give you a Surrey fan at one end of the spectrum. I'm going to give you a Leicestershire fan at the other end of the spectrum. They're getting their, what, 30 days of seeing their county 
at their county ground in out of out of a season that lasts about 171 days. They're currently paying 220, 230 quid for an oval season ticket. You would have to go to pretty much every available day, especially bearing in mind, as I said, that some of these games aren't going to last four days in the county championship. If you go away on holiday and you miss a county championship game, woe betide you. Um, the counties themselves, five T20s at home instead of, what is it, seven at the moment? Eight, seven or eight? Seven. That seven. is a significant, significant attack on your revenue. Now, if you're Surrey, you can absorb that because you've got conference facilities, you've got all sorts of other things that make the club and the ground viable. If you're Leicestershire and Derbyshire, or your Somerset, quite frankly, which has got a really big following and a really good membership. Yeah. Are they really going to want to pay that amount of money? That It's going to cost less, surely, membership. That's going to bring less money into the coffers. That means that the ECB are going to have to find more money if they want to keep these counties going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that actually slicing out that much cricket from the season makes the game more commercially viable. I doubt it. The suggestion is that by having slightly less cricket, it's going to make the quality of what you watch that much better. And I, I'm still not 100% convinced about that because you're right. I think if you do the treadmill, if you do 22 three-day games, if there's always another opportunity around the corner, mm. that's fine. But we were at something like a reasonable compromise on the number of games at 14. It's just if you put seven of them in a seven-week period, then obviously a fast bowler yeah. unit's got to be rotated or they've got to compromise on, on how hard they go. So... One thing that I am particularly keen on, because if you look at, I mean, the, the Test Championship is a really good example. It defies sporting logic. It says you can have this many points for a win against Bangladesh, or you can have this many points for a win against Australia. The thing's uneven. And the problem with a 14-match first-class season at the moment is that they're not doing home and away against everyone. And on a sporting level, that's basically garbage. It's a bad idea. It's the, how the county championship operated for about a hundred years of its existence. Yeah, and it's just not very good, is it? It's just not. It's not a very good idea to to say you can win the championship, but it's not even having a symmetrical fixture list isn't a massively controversial idea in itself. So, so I think it is primarily commercial and and for people who are invested in in their county, it's a personal problem. I don't think it's a sporting problem. I think the sporting logic of the calendar that they've suggested is not so bad. And, it, and specifically, it it drags the first-class game out of the early, early start of the season and the back end of it. And it makes it a bit more uh, evenly spread through the course of the season, which is a problem we had this year of England players vying to get into the test team without any Red Bull experience under their belts in, in recent weeks. So there is something good about it on that level, I think. the Whether they can persuade enough people... Because they need 12 votes out of 18 counties. And already we've seen Sussex don't seem keen. Uh, Essex don't seem keen. Lancashire putting it to a member's vote. Are members going to vote for less cricket, for their less bang for their buck? You know, who knows? Uh, there, there is a good bit of scepticism doing the rounds already. And actually, I think Gareth Batty and Rory Burns as coach and captain at Surrey it was, an, it was a notable intervention that they chose their celebratory moment of triumph in the county championship to say, we don't fancy this idea. So there's 
an argument to be had and to be won and lost here. And it's not really obvious which way it goes, other than to say bending a little bit on the T20 might, might be the compromise that they can, the landing spot that they can meet on. Mm. Yes. I mean, I, I think that's going to be the most contentious part, isn't it? Because actually Sussex isn't going to mind too dreadfully if there are eight days less county cricket uh, in, in terms of county mm. championship being played, but they will really feel the pinch from two fewer uh, T20 blast fixtures. I mean, there's a, just a couple of other things to throw into the mix before we move into our third segment to look at the other recommendations. Let's be really clear about what this restructure is. It's that the top six teams in next year's first division will form the first division for 2024. The next 12 teams will then be seeded into two groups of six and the winners of each of those groups will play off against each other to get promotion into the first division Mm. and the bottom side gets relegated. So one side will get to play 11 games, well, two sides get to play 11 games, the winners of of the two groups. And uh, the problem is in part caused by the fact that we have a stupid number of counties, namely 18. If we had... Mm -hmm. 21, then you might be able to have three groups of seven and then you'd have 12 games and that might be a compromise that people would would go with. But we don't have that, so that's where we're at. But can I just spare a thought for all the people that work in and around cricket? Because cricket needs to maintain its own infrastructure. It's not just about the players at the top of that pyramid turning out and playing test cricket for England because that's essentially what this men's high-performance review is about. Yeah. To support all of those things, you actually need to have people who maintain the ground, who um, work at the ground, who broadcast, who write, who are all part of the you know, military-industrial cricket complex, if you like. <laughs> and once you're taking away some of these days, we take them away very blithely and say, well, you know, our cricketers need more time to prepare, even though the amount of their workload has been dwindling, as I hope I've demonstrated quite significantly over the last... 45, 50 years in, in a regular downward spiral. You're a man on what a day rate, aren't you, Norcross, eh? <laughs> well, I am. I am. And increasingly, a lot of people are. It's all, you yeah. know, it's all right for the chief cricket writer of the Press Association, but it's not all right <laughs> oh, for yeah. Steve Rolling at, it. at the Oval. <laughs> Steve at the Oval, who, who makes my coffee very diligently and hands out yeah. my food, he's on a day rate. That's eight days he's going to go missing. We're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. I'm not saying for one minute that cricket needs to be put on in order to support stewards. But mm. we, I don't think we should just blithely toss away people's livelihoods like this on the altar of an experiment that we think will enhance cricket at the top level. I mean, frankly, if you're coming back from an injury and there are only 10 games of cricket to be played that season and you get an injury in the first game and you're out for four or five games, you've got less cricket to play to get back and prove your worth and get back in the England team. So there is that side of it as well. If there's, as has happened in this country many times before, a period of time when the weather is a bit shitty. I mean, think of 2012 when mm. it basically rained from May through to the end of June. You you can wipe out a whole bunch of first-class fixtures and end up with a county championship that is decided on the basis of about three matches that ever actually reached a, a conclusion. And it'll get even worse if they decide they're going to play with a kookaburra ball. We will move on 
to the rest of these recommendations in the men's high performance review. Oh, it's getting exciting now. I'm starting to get into it. <laughs> I told you. In just a moment. If you love the language of cricket and want more, then head over to 99.94 app and you can hear all of our podcasts and cricket commentary. We're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all our announcements by following us on social media at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. So, you teased us all, Rory, right at the outset. There we were, wondering, can we really face a gnarled old conversation about the men's high-performance review? Yeah. But you said, wait, there are 17 whole recommendations in there that really aren't that contentious. Run us through some of them. They better be good. I will have to run you through some of them because some of them have, have not lingered in my mind longer than the five seconds it took me to read them. Some of them are basically quite generic that, that wouldn't worry about anyone just benchmarking and coaching stuff. But it's so pitches is a big part of it. Now, we don't want to get into that because we've said before, pitches is a whole different level of shenanigans that, that we're not qualified to get into. The Kookaburra ball, a pilot with the Kookaburra ball has been floated, as has happened in the past, and it's happened in the reverse with Australia taking the Dukes. Uh, they have they want to bring back the North v South fixture as a pre-season mm-hmm. uh, curtain raiser. They want. To I liked bring... that. Are they, they play that abroad, would they? I went to yeah, that, ones that's in, the idea. In yeah. Barbados, they were brilliant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's an idea, and again, that's with a view to looking at players who aren't necessarily on the England setup. Uh, but are on the cusp of it uh, and benchmarking them. They want to bring back an England under-17 team. They want to beef up the Lions programme and make it more obviously linked to the test team. I think at the moment, some days they pick a guy out of nowhere because he's needs a game or needs a trot or they've you know, bowled a good over on TV. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're some of the ones. And then central contracts. And it does appear that there's some interest in in reviewing central contracts because maybe they're not as uh, nimble as they were when they were brought in. Now, I don't think anyone disagrees that central contracts were a good idea because they got us some very good, obvious results. But in, a, in sort of, there's a bit of fear and uncertainty about the, the threat of T20 franchise leagues and money available elsewhere. And they're looking at rebalancing the idea, whether it be multi-year contracts and whether they shift the dial in terms of match fees versus retainers. So some quite dense stuff in there, but a couple of issues to pick out. Kookaburra ball, that's just a bad idea, isn't it? <laughs> it's a terrible was? idea. Don't, don't, that mustn't happen. Uh, I mean, it doesn't... I think they've tried using it a couple of times over here, and it, it falls apart. It's, it's wretched. Mm. It doesn't do anything. Um, I, I, I don't... I do genuinely get annoyed by the idea that the only way England are going to win matches abroad is if you force bowlers to bowl on terrible pitches with terrible balls and just make them go through the motions for four days while each side racks up 600. I, I just don't see that that isn't necessarily very helpful. I think I think making county cricket, first county championship cricket, boring is, and I mean really the cricket right through the middle is, you know, crap ball, flat pitch, Let's see who can fashion a result out of a 600 match. Uh, is, is, is a more is a more drastic problem than lopping a lopping a couple of games off the season. I I, I think compromising the stuff that is going on in that 22 yards is is much uh, 
much bigger problem. So I don't think that's a great idea. Uh, they, I suppose, they're kind of calling it a pilot so that they can sit, they can review the data and say, okay, what do we learn from that? Not a lot. Maybe we ditch it again. But I think, I think to remove the dukes, even for a round or two rounds, would be to take a strength and turn it into a weakness by taking that away, which is not a good idea. Albeit, I would say at the Andrew Strauss press conference, the Sir Andrew Strauss press conference, I should say at Lords that I went to to discuss this uh, review. He was asked about, there was a long question about the cricket ball, which went off into a detour about the Tiflex uh, experiment. Oh, yes. and, I, and, I, and I wondered if uh, Sir Dave Brilsford and uh, Dan Ashworth, technical director of Newcastle United, who helped Andrew Strauss on this review, I wonder if they got into the weeds of Tiflex and whether they found themselves in a, in a meeting room one day saying, what did I sign up for here? <laughs> yes, I remember the Tiflex ball. We all got very vexed by it, didn't we? It was for years. I thought it was basically plastic, but it, it turned out it wasn't. Um, so look, we're um, going to wrap up shortly. What I want, what I what really want from you, I guess, is um, of the seventeen recommendations that you think are going to go through. They they strive. I've cast my eye over a few of them. They don't feel particularly controversial. They do feel like they are. Um, the right kind of gambit. I love North South. I mean, it's it's a way of creating another kind of elite structure. I think pathways have been um, have been slightly lopped off in the last few years, in in part because of COVID. It, I mean, let's be quite North, clear. North South would, would North South would be great for this uh, podcast, actually, as well. I feel like we could sort of oh yeah have a have a head coaching role, surely between us. I'll, I'll take the North uh, if that's all right. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm South till I die. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> even though my mother could was from Yorkshire, I bleed. Gravy South. or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I I bleed sumac and foie gras. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you imagine goes on down anyway, there. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. But um, so, so I don't think there's anything, you know, it's suck it and see. Um, some of those ideas could be good. Um, time will tell. Of the ones that affect domestic cricket, just a job back to that briefly before we go. Your view from having talked to county chairs. Um, it strikes me if you need a two-thirds majority that I can already say to myself, are Leicestershire, Derbyshire, Glamorgan, um, Sussex, that's four just off the top of my head, Northhands, Durham, are they really going to be in favour of this? Because the other side of it well, is, if you're relegated, if you're relegated this year, which Gloucestershire will be, and very probably Warwickshire, next year, there's nothing in it. You're playing for nothing. You know, mm. um, you don't get promoted from the second division next year. You get, you're playing for being seeded, really. Um, and I guess the team that's top of division two, uh, the first and second in division two, will get a slightly better seeding in their six-team group. But... You know, there's only six yeah. sides who are going to be in the first division in 2024 on this basis. So it's how on earth do they yeah. get 12 people to vote for it? Well, one, I can tell you that um, Marcus North was on the panel of people who wrote this report. So I reckon Durham Ooh. might be a might be a win. <laughs> I think they might. I think Durham might get a vote given that their director of cricket sort of chucked a few paragraphs towards it. But I also think they they probably don't get to this stage without thinking that they're really quite close. So it will take a little bit of bartering, I'm sure. I can't imagine it gets through unaltered. But I, if I had to 
guess I think maybe they get it over the line with a couple of concessions uh, and then we we go again. But whatever happens, next year is a zombie year because it either the changes don't go ahead and you've got this elite panel of people who've assessed all the data and said that the current structure and the one that we're having next year doesn't work and it's not fit for purpose and it doesn't help anyone. And it is a horrible porridge of uncertainty. Uh, or the porridge of uncertainty. That's, a, that, that, that's the name of the episode, by the way, Rory. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> or, we, uh, or, we, or we agree a review, a, a change of, of proposals and a new schedule, and we say, and we're going to do it in 16 months' time. I think the idea that we've got to go through another season like this with the back and forth and the sort of lack of clarity about what format you're playing when you turn up to a ground is regrettable. I couldn't agree more. It's so enervating, scheduling. It really is. Uh, and I don't actually uh, relish that role. Whoever has to do it, it's a bloody nightmare. We are going to be leaving it here. We will be back after, I think we've decided we're going to do it after the England women play their final international match of the summer at Lords on Saturday the 24th. Um, there will also have been a couple more T20 games played. One's been played on Friday, the day that we're recording, and another on Sunday. So we're going to get up, we're going to get together early next week. We're going to run the rule over where England are in that T20 series. Of course, we did a podcast yesterday and it was all sweetness and light. Well, no spoilers, <laughs> but it's not sweetness and light right now. And as for the women, well, they're really up against it. So uh, we will be with no holds barred looking back at, at that and any other developments that have squeaked out, who knows, maybe from the high performance, the men's high performance review. I can't wait for the women's high performance review. I oh, Really, I'm quivering with the anticipation of a chinchilla on his wedding night. Thank you for listening to England Cricket on 99.94. Cricket every day. Please rate, review and subscribe. You can download the 99.94 app. Follow us personally on, in my case, at Norcross Cricket. And um, and Rory, your handle? At the RVD. Let's leave it there. We've got to go. At the RVD. We'll put links up for everything we do there on this podcast and beyond. Also, follow our network at 9994DM on social media. Follow for podcasts and commentary from the bat and ball world. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. We speak cricket. Until the next time, from both of us, goodbye. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.